Let us go to God in prayer. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts, that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. The scripture reading today is from Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, verses 43 through 51. So listen now for the word of God to the church on this Lord's Day. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you come to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Daniel replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As the poet and playwright Oscar Wilde once observed when talking about the difference between the sexes, women are never disarmed by compliments. Men always are. Now that certainly seems to have been the case with Nathaniel in this story. 
As he approaches the road, he remains somewhat of a cynic about this purported Messiah from Nazareth. But then, with just a few words passing between them, he offers Jesus one of the clearest professions of the Lordship of Christ that we find in all of Scripture. Nathaniel was not only disarmed, he was instantly transformed. And who can blame him? To receive a compliment from Jesus himself that elevates a person into admittedly rarefied air. But it's the nature of this particular compliment that I'd like to explore this morning. Because to have it said that there is no deceit in us strikes me as an exceedingly precious thing. To have someone gaze into our heart and search our spirit and find nothing false, nothing fake, nothing postured or propped up, I feel like that is one of the most wonderful things that could ever be said to a person. Now, admittedly, I am a fan of word studies, especially when the word is spoken by Jesus. And the word deceit, the word for deceit in Greek, merits some careful study because it draws from a deep well of meaning in the New Testament. The noun dolos appears in three gospels, in the Acts of the Apostles, in the letters of Paul, and in the epistles of Peter. It is usually translated as deceit but it can also mean stealth, craftiness, guile, or treachery. The essence of the compliment that Nathaniel receives from Jesus was that Nathaniel was clean and free from these spiritual pollutants. So using the lens of this potent little word, I want to look at what Nathaniel was not in the hope that we can not only learn from the compliment he received, but perhaps follow his example and dare to dream that someday it might also be said of us that God could look into our hearts and find no deceit. One of the ways that dolos is used in Scripture as a marker of deceit carries the connotation of baiting, or the laying of traps. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, for example, this was the word the evangelist used to describe the Pharisees who were always laying traps for Jesus. They were constantly baiting him with thorny questions of the law, hoping that he might say something that they could use against him. Their purpose was to detract him, discredit him, and diminish him. And this mean-spirited craftiness was not only criticized in the New Testament, but also by the prophets and the priests of Israel. This kind of deceit was clearly in the mind of the psalmist who lamented the stealthy and sinister ways in which the rich and powerful were taking advantage of the poor. They think in their heart We shall not be moved, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 10, 
Their mouths are filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under their tongues are mischief and iniquity. They sit in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, they murder the innocent. Their eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. They lurk in secret like a lion in its covert. They lurk that they might seize the poor. They seize the poor and drag them off in their net. They stoop, they crouch, and the helpless fall by their might. Now, in his commentary on this psalm, the 19th century Presbyterian pastor Albert Barnes, a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary and the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Philadelphia from 1830 to 1867, was struck with this image of the lion crouching down in his den waiting to strike. The lion is concealed, but it is on the lookout, he wrote. And when his prey passes near his den, he suddenly springs upon it and secures it. So it is with the wicked man. He carefully lays his plans. He conceals his purposes. He himself is hidden, or his plans are all hidden. Suddenly he springs upon his victim who is taken by surprise and has no power of defense or escape. So the guidance for us as we seek to emulate Nathaniel is to distance ourselves from this kind of baiting. Those who seek only to lay traps for others are not following the way of Christ. If we seek that high compliment of having no deceit in our hearts, this cannot be our way. Another meaning of dolos, as Jesus seems to use it here, is a lack of flattery. As he said openly to Philip, he doubted that the Messiah could really be a man from Nazareth. It was like saying that the next great surfing champion was born and trained in Nebraska. Nathaniel had good reason to be skeptical, and he wasn't fake about that. He didn't try to hide his true thoughts. He spoke them openly and honestly. In other words, Nathaniel was no Eddie Haskell. Now, I know that this reference ages me, but a lot of you will remember that Eddie Haskell was the cheesy neighbor from the 1950s sitcom Leave It to Beaver. Reruns were still aired when I was growing up, so as a child of the 70s, I got to know Eddie as the overly polite boy who laid that flattery on thick to adults like Ward and June Cleaver. But the moment that the parents were out of the room, the real Eddie came out, mean, snarky, conniving, and self-interested. As one TV critic observed, he embodied the kind of personality that people first encounter on the playground, but then again throughout adulthood. The obsequious work colleague, the backstabbing boyfriend, the smarmy politician. Real life has a lot of Eddie Haskells, this commentator wrote. So whatever Jesus saw in Nathaniel, it was the opposite of that. Nathaniel was not one to flatter a person in self-interest or in pursuit of some kind of angle or ruse. With Nathaniel, what you saw was what you got, and that is clearly what God expects of us. 
Eddie Haskell qualities like flattering lips and double hearts and great boasts were routinely criticized in the Psalms and the Proverbs, culminating in that famous passage from Proverbs 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. By contrast, Nathaniel was earnest and authentic. His yes was yes and his no was no. When asked an honest question, he gave an honest answer. Jesus saw all of that in Nathaniel, and Jesus said it was good. Last but certainly not least, Nathaniel had an open heart. It had not been closed by cynicism or hurt or sorrow. Despite his skepticism, Nathaniel was still hopeful. Yes, he had wondered whether anything good could come out of Nazareth. But when his friend Philip replied, come and see, that is exactly what Philip, what Nathaniel did. He got up and he went to see. He was honest about his doubt but he was still willing to act on hope. And the key was that he trusted his friend enough to go with him and check it out. His trust kept him open to a crazy possibility that despite all odds, maybe, just maybe, Nathaniel could meet the Messiah face to face. The ability to balance healthy skepticism on the one hand with trust, faith, and hope on the other, this has to lie at the very heart of the compliment that Jesus gives to Nathaniel. It is the mark of a clean heart that holds no deceit. We see this clearly in Nathaniel's bewildered response to Jesus. When the Savior calls to him from down the dusty road, saying, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, Nathaniel responds, where did you come to know me? What do we think was in his heart when he asked that question? Was it an amazed and grateful observation that, wow, this man really does know me? Or was it more like the version that we read in the message, Eugene Peterson's translation, which has a still doubting Nathaniel saying, where did you get that idea? You don't know me. I actually think it was a little bit of both. I think Nathaniel was giving voice to the balancing of healthy skepticism and faithful hope that was playing out in his open and honest heart not many of us, when we first meet someone, would risk making such a categorical proclamation about another person's honesty or trustworthiness. We'd want to get to know them first. Trust is something that is built over time, something that happens when people walk alongside each other for a while, when they see each other in action. 
when they observe how they respond under duress and affirm that when that person is tested by life, that they ultimately land on the side of the truth. On the other hand, the need to be seen, the need to be heard and recognized, to be understood, and to be really and truly known by another, that is one of the deepest human needs and the greatest of human desires. I think every person craves the deep comfort of knowing that even when our lives are laid bare, even if those things that we are not so proud of are revealed, that someone who has that full knowledge might still choose us and even cherish us for who we are. Not the versions of ourselves that we share in Christmas letters or post on Instagram, but the real deal about us. One of our greatest hopes is to be loved, truly loved, without flattery, manipulation, or deceit. The achievement of that hope is what we hear in the grateful psalmist who said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my lips, O Lord, my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. And somehow, Lord, you still love me. You still cherish me. You still choose me. That gift is too wonderful for me. It's a bar that seems so high that I cannot attain it. I cannot understand it. But I sure will take it with awe and wonder and joy. I think Nathaniel's experience is the exchange that we all long to have in its most simple form for the Savior to meet us on the road, to see into our innermost being, to truly know our hearts, and to somehow find us to have no deceit in there, at least not enough to quibble about. We all work for compliments, don't we, in one way or another. Some of us are disarmed by them. Some of us apparently are not. Some compliments are worth the effort. Others are not. But this particular compliment, to be found true, honest, open, and trusting, that is one we can all aim for and one we can all hope for. May God give us all the heart of Nathaniel as we too seek the Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.